You're listening to the Prepper Recon Podcast. For questions, comments, and podcast archives, go to PrepperRecon.com. Hey, Preppers and Patriots. I noticed a lot of you took my advice from the last podcast and tried out the Medterra CBD oil. Thank you for that, and thank you for purchasing through Prepper Recon. The small commission I earned from Medterra helps cover the costs associated with the podcast. Plus, I got some great feedback. Garrett wrote me to say that hearing about how CBD had helped me with my shoulder pain convinced him that he wasn't doing drugs by taking CBD. Garrett tried CBD for stress and high blood pressure. He told me that the CBD oil helped, and it did so very quickly. My mom's been dealing with chronic pain since recovering from COVID last winter, but wanted to check with her doctor before trying CBD. She's on blood pressure medication, so because CBD does lower blood pressure, both of them together could cause her blood pressure to get too low. She spoke with her physician and worked out a plan. I just sent her a bottle yesterday, and I'm hoping it will help her as much as it did me. I had another listener who had trouble locating the product. When you click the CBD banner at the top of PrepperRecon.com, it's going to take you to Medterra's homepage. That usually is going to display a featured product. From there, hover your cursor over the Shop tab at the top left-hand corner of the page. That will display a drop-down menu. From there, just click the menu option that says CBD Oil. Then select the strength you want and how many you want, and then you're ready to check out. But don't forget to use coupon code PREP at checkout, and you'll get 15% off your entire order. I've been using the 3,000 milligram oil because my shoulders have been keeping me awake at night. Now I sleep like a dream. If you're on prescription medications, talk to your doctor before taking CBD. But if you do decide to give it a try, I highly recommend Medterra. It's non-GMO. It's third-party tested for purity, it uses organic coconut oil for the carrier, and Medterra is one of the few companies that use the CO2 extraction process rather than harsh chemicals or alcohol, which keeps you from getting the best effects from CBD. Medterra's broad-spectrum and ultra-broad-spectrum product line contain no THC, so you won't test positive for marijuana. They do offer a full-spectrum product line, which does contain trace amounts of THC, but THC is clearly marked on the bottle, and even then, it's not nearly enough to get you high. So if you're suffering from chronic pain, high blood pressure, stress, anxiety, or sleeplessness, give Medterra CBD oil a try. It's helped so many people, and it might just be the thing you've been looking for. Now... On to today's show. Today's guest is James Wesley Ross, former military intelligence officer, author of the Patriot series of books, and the creator of survivalblog.com. Jim, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me on. The Colonial Pipeline incident highlighted just how dependent our country is to a very fragile infrastructure system. The fuel industry was already stressed. The nation is facing a shortage of truck drivers. The Keystone Pipeline was shut down by Biden. And Michigan's Governor Whitmer currently plans to shut down the state's Line 5 pipeline, 
Talk to us about how vulnerable we are from the combination of poor government policies and black swan events like this one. Well, uh, we certainly are vulnerable. Uh, our fuel pipelines uh, have a great vulnerability to SCADA attacks. And as we recently saw with the Milestone uh, Pipeline, the uh, ability of hackers to make uh, ransomware attacks is just as great in terms of uh, either way, the oil or gas or natural gas stops flowing. Uh, whether they're attacking the infrastructure itself they're physically uh, or whether it's a cyber attack uh, on SCADA software or whether it's a ransomware attack on the organization. It, Texas experienced the same type of problem essentially over the winter it wasn't a it wasn't a cyber attack but their wind turbines froze up and they had to wait several days for permission from the federal government to increase power uh, from their their natural gas plants so I mean this is a, a do you think we're going to see a lot more of these types of events where where well, uh, we shot ourselves in the I've, foot with uh, with the poor government policies yeah, as I've mentioned in my blog, government policy probably does more to impede commerce, including uh, the flow of energy, uh, than, than natural events ever will. One thing that most people don't realize is that the nation's nuclear power plants are under very strict NRC uh, regulation, and even just falling below a certain level of staffing at a nuclear power plant would require that they scram the pile on that plant and set and shut it down, take it offline, just for that reason alone. And the, the ability of the government to screw things up cannot be overestimated. Since the lockdowns began, um, people have been fleeing cities in mass. You co-wrote a book called Survival Retreats and Relocation. Can you give us a few right. highlights from that book uh, for those considering getting out of the urban death traps? Well, yeah, the, uh, the whole concept behind that book is to encourage people to look very seriously and prayerfully about relocation and specifically what areas they should look at geographically, and not just in terms of climate but in or in terms of growing season, but things like population density, government regulations, and uh, zoning. There's a whole slew of considerations that people need to consider. Um, now, an earlier edition of that book is available online free of charge. Uh, that's what was called Rawls on Retreats and Relocation. But a lot of that data in that edition of the book uh, is out of date. So I would recommend that people do get the new edition. Again, it's called Survival Retreats and Relocation. The primary author was my son, Jonathan. I'm, I'm now the background author. He completely revamped the book, brought it all up to date with new uh, maps, new state-level data, he expanded the book considerably, 
it's well worth getting. I, I highly recommend that book. And again, if someone's on a tight budget, they can get the earlier edition free of charge. That was called Rolls on Retreats and Relocation. And then I guess I guess the big the big considerations uh, besides uh, what you mentioned about government regulations, uh, you got you, you probably need a water source. You, it, it should be somewhere that's that's somewhat defendable, um, decent soil, things like that. Well, yeah, the the, um, the important most important thing I think is population density, because fewer people mean fewer problems. And if you look at the riots that took place. Uh, over the last year, very few, if any, of those took place in small towns. They took place in cities. So population density, I think, is at the very top of the list. I think water is probably uh, the second highest priority. So that kind of rules out rural areas in places like Nevada and Arizona for the most part, although there are a few pockets uh, where there's surface water available. And then beyond that, good quality soil, long growing season, favorable gun laws, favorable homeschooling laws. Uh, those are all things to, to look at very carefully. And there is no one-size-fits-all approach because people's circumstances vary. You know, depending on someone's stage of life, they may want to be very near a major medical center if, if they're elderly or have a chronic health condition. So there's a lot of things that go into it. I don't make, you know, I, well, I should say, I do make general recommendations for regions like the American Redoubt, which is a five-state area consisting of Idaho, Wyoming, Montana, and the eastern half of Oregon and the eastern half of Washington. But there's other regions that are nearly as good, uh, like the Cumberland Plateau, um, parts of the Appalachians, there's, uh, and perhaps the Four Corners region of uh, where New Mexico and Arizona come together. Um, there are other regions that have favorable conditions in terms of water, power, growing season, and so forth. Um, in terms of power, I like to look at areas that are power exporting regions. And that's one reason I like the Pacific Northwest and Inland Northwest. And also the Four Corners region, because uh, they have such a profusion of natural gas, they also export power. It's going to be the power exporting regions that have the power grids come back up immediately or, or very soon after a grid collapse. In fact, the, the areas that are served by local power co-ops in power exporting regions may have hardly any interruption of power at all, even in the event that the eastern grid, the western grid, and Texas grid all go down, because they'll be islanding their power. They'll have local service for their customers because they're producing power right there. And a lot of that's hydroelectric and requires very little staffing uh, to keep it up and running. Lumber and steel have tripled in the past year. Copper has about doubled. Food prices are soaring. 
And the Fed says current inflationary pressures are transitory. Of course, Bernanke told us that the 2009 credit bubble was contained within the subprime market. So they're either lying or incompetent. Either way, we can't trust the Fed. What do you think? Are we on the cusp of a hyperinflationary event? Well, we're certainly going to be seeing at least a repeat of the 1970s with double-digit inflation. We may see 20% plus, maybe 40% plus inflation. And in a worst case, yes, we could see hyperinflation. The uh, Never underestimate <laughs> the ability of government to, uh, to screw things up. The, the, the way they've managed our currency, the, the, the monetary policy is just absolutely crazy. Uh, with the amount of spending that's gone on, especially with uh, this, the huge stimulus payments, the huge infrastructure uh, uh, spending that's gone on, and the planned infrastructure spending that, that's waiting in the wings that, to the tune of another 4 to $11 trillion is just absolutely staggering. The government has managed to triple the money supply in just over two years. Now, that's not just printed currency, of course, but that's the aggregate of dollars in circulation. Most of those are electronic dollars. But you can't triple the money supply and not expect at least moderate inflation. There'll probably be substantial inflation. And as I recently pointed out in an article in Survival Blog, the existence of inflation tends to breed the anticipation of continuing uh, inflation. So even if the government yells, stop the press, and the the Federal Reserve agrees, the Treasury Department and the Federal Reserve, you know, stop expanding the money supply, once inflation kicks in, it'll be very hard to stop because people are going to keep building higher prices into their price lists just expecting inflation to continue. So it's, it's very hard to stop once it's started. And once it goes into a hyperinflationary spiral, it's incredibly hard to stop. And that's what we saw in Venezuela uh, a few years earlier in Zimbabwe and all the way back in the early 1920s in Weimar, Germany, where they completely lost control of the situation and the expectation of, of inflation drove prices to just insane levels, and anyone who was on a fixed income, or basically anyone who was dependent on that currency unit, was wiped out. So what I recommend to my readers at Survival Blog, and I'm sure you've done likewise, is to shift a substantial portion of your portfolio into barterable tangibles. And that by that I mean things like small gold, junk silver, common caliber ammunition. The latest shortage is in uh, shipping containers. This is going to affect the supply chain across the board, not only for foreign goods, but also for American-made products, as most domestic producers depend on imported components for the manufacturing process packaging, as well as maintenance and repair parts for machinery. For folks putting off purchases, would you recommend buying now while supplies are available? Absolutely. You know, anyone who's planning to build a house, 
should, if they're, they're even if they're only 90% sure they're going to be building a house, they should go ahead and buy all the light fixtures right now because that, there are things, there are right now shortages of things like uh, ceiling lights, what they commonly call a can light, across the country. Uh, it's very difficult to find them. So people may be in a situation where they put up the frame of a house, but then they can't roof it because there's no roofing steel available. Or they can't finish the house because there's uh, not enough toilets, toilets or sinks or light fixtures. So if anybody knows they have a project plan, say, that, say they're going to be pasturing uh, livestock, they should go ahead and buy all the, all the fence wire and clips and uh, everything they need for their fencing project now. If you're currently gardening and you plan to expand your garden, buy that fence wire now because later this summer or certainly by next summer that probably won't be available or if it is available it's going to cost twice as much steel has already doubled it could easily double again the the a lot of these commodities have what are called thin markets and especially if you look at at some of the precious metals rare earths uh Anything in the platinum metals group has already gone up radically because they're very thin markets. It doesn't take a lot to perturb those markets and send them into you know mass inflation. What about preppers who are already busy with work, family, grocery shopping, housework? Particularly when you're first putting in the infrastructure for a homestead, it can be very time-consuming. How do people stay balanced between uh, work and family and, and preparedness efforts? Well, you know, I always believe in, as a Christian, I believe in starting with prayer. And one of the things you need to pray for is psychological balance. And then, of course, you need to balance your, your budgeting for your preparations. You don't want to go overboard in one area. Over and over again, uh, with my consulting clients, I've seen people who have gone way overboard in some areas at the expense of others. Uh, a lot of my consulting clients are doctors, for example, and a lot of them are set up all the way, you know, practically, I mean, they even have uh, anesthesia equipment, some of them. Uh, they go way overboard on, on medical supplies, but then you ask them about self-defense or uh, about communications equipment, or even food storage, and they're like, oh, well, I'm planning to do this, or I'm planning to do that. But obviously, some folks have gone way overboard in some areas. There's a lot of people who are gun collectors who have every gun imaginable, but have a laughably low supply of ammunition or spare magazines or spare parts. So don't... uh, over-prepare in one particular area at the expense of others. It's better to modestly prepare across the board, be honest with yourself, uh, be honest about your, your budget, your expectations, your stage of life, uh, the climate zone you live in, and your physical capabilities. You know, you know I've had people who uh, bought wood stoves uh, thinking, oh well, I'll be able to buy firewood, even though I, you know, I have a 
physical infirmity that barely allows me to walk. And they're thinking, well, I'll be able to buy firewood when everything hits the fan. Well, perhaps you may want to think about getting a coal-fired stove that you can burn coal or wood in. Uh, a lot of, of stoves are only rated for wood, not, not coal, uh, depending on the way their fireboxes and grates are built. Be realistic. Know your own limitations and have balance in all your preparations. It's better to have a bit of, a bit of first aid, a bit of self-defense, a bit of night vision, a, a bit of communications equipment, and so forth, rather than having your food storage completely squared away, but leaving yourself vulnerable to attack because you haven't prepared in terms of self-defense, or vice versa. I think a lot of folks fixate on a total collapse scenario, but most countries that experience hyperinflation go through a long slog to the bottom. Right. We so far, and I think we're already in that slow slide, and people should plan accordingly. We've already seen uh, consumer prices go up, and prices of things like steel T-posts for fencing or ammunition or uh, uh, or just you know uh, two by four studs at your local uh, lumber store. They show you what is really going on, and they're kind of the precursor of what's going to happen in the general market once there's more supply chain disruptions and once the, there's a full appreciation of how much the money supply has ballooned. So inflation is definitely coming. Part of it's already here. The high prices we're seeing for lumber and steel and ammunition, again, are just the precursor. You mentioned Venezuela earlier, and they've been going through this process for uh, about a decade now. Um, yeah. It's not gotten any better. In fact, during the, the COVID lockdowns, their situation actually got worse. And, uh, you know, because it has been going on for 10 years, we don't, we don't hear as much news coverage about it. But uh, if we think back a couple of years, we saw photos of Venezuelans standing in grocery store lines from from yeah, two or three o'clock in the misery. morning, waiting yeah. for for and and they would go to one store and the only thing they, that that store would have would be flour. Then they'd have to go to another store and stand in another hours long line for for rice. That's um, how I look. That, that's how I feel right now, looking for uh, nine millimeter ammunition. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, a Venezuela's misery index has got to be, you know, peaking right now. But again, it's it's a slow slide. They're not at the bottom yet, and it won't be until there's a general uprising and a change of government, which is not likely since they've also disarmed all the all their political opponents. Things are going to get a lot worse before they get better in Venezuela. And the bad news for Americans is things are going to get a lot worse here before they get better, too. Yeah, and uh, uprising would be also be difficult in Venezuela because now um, the starvation is, uh, you know, people are, are starving now. You know, years, years back we heard about people losing, on average, you know, 10, 20 pounds each, which, you know, they're yeah. not all fat. You know, that's also that's calculating in 
school-age children and, and, and people of that yeah, nature. Yeah, it's kind of tough to be involved in a revolution when your highest concern is where you're going to get your next meal. And I, I think that people need to recognize here in the States that we may soon be in a situation where we are in, in great need of political change here in our country. But it's only going to be those people who, are, who have their beans, bullets, and Band-Aids square, squared away that are going to be looking at the big picture. Everybody else is going to be looking for their next meal, and they're not going to be part of the solution. They're just going to be, you know, at best, observers, and at worst, part of the problem, because they'll, they'll be clamoring for government assistance. During uh, Argentina's collapse, um, Fernando uh, Aguilera, for fall, he, he told stories about Argentina um, experiencing brownouts where they didn't have a complete grid collapse, but, uh, you know, they would have power for maybe two or three right. hours a day. That's um, what's going on in South Africa right now. Yeah, um, and I, I think... Uh, Fernando's observations are, are overall very good because he's, he's lived it. He's been through it. Now, at one point, he was saying he wanted to stick to urban areas because he thought that they would have the best chances of being well supplied uh, for political reasons. But I have doubts about that. Um, I am very much a proponent of living in rural areas where we can be more self-sufficient and uh, hopefully uh, get through any sort of really hard times with a local barter economy. That's my hope. I don't think the cities will be safe enough to even turn your back on a backyard vegetable garden uh, for fear of your neighbors coming and coming in and stripping your crops. It's, it's just too tenuous a situation in urban areas. But again, overall, I think that Fernando Aguirre's uh, observations are good, and I do recommend his writings. Uh, a lot of what happened in Argentina could very well happen here in the United States. And, uh, yeah, you, you mentioned... He he, he probably does have a point about the, the, the cities being being the first to be supplied for political reasons, and uh, a rat traps are a really good place to find a piece of cheese. Yeah, it, it's hard to predict what's going to happen. Um, obviously, we're, we're looking at kind of a, both a slow slide uh, collapse here in the United States and, unfortunately, the advent of socialist government. And if you look at Argentina in the long term, Argentina, 60 years ago, was an amazing country. It, it had a thriving economy. It had a large middle class. It had a good infrastructure. It had a health care system on par with Europe. And look at it now. And it's all attributable to a shift towards socialist thinking. And socialist thinking brought socialist policies, and socialist policies in the long term brought misery. So speaking of uh, 
of issues like that where, where we could have brownouts. Um, do, do you recommend generators? Uh, I know they would quickly become useless I'm, in the I'm total collapse. But... I'm actually not a big proponent of generators for long-term situations. I'm a big believer in photovoltaic power and preferably completely off-grid, even though you don't get the tax credit. Uh, off-grid is better because you're less vulnerable to EMP or EMP-like effects from X-class solar flares. Because if you're not connected to the grid, you're not correct connected to that giant antenna that's going to, to, to bring EMP to your house. If you have an off-grid solar system, you just have very short runs of wire that are exposed, so your EMP risk is minimal. And beyond that, uh, just make sure that you have a spare charge controller for your system. That's the most vulnerable part of any photovoltaic power system. But, yes, we definitely need to be ready for uh, off-grid situations because the grid may not be there. And a lot of people may not even have looked at what sort of, uh, even if they live in the country, what sort of well pump they're on. A lot of people only have a 120-volt backup generator or 120-volt photovoltaic power system, but they're on a 220 well pump. So (laughs) you really got to look at things in detail and think long-term. Unfortunately, a backup generator is really just short-term thinking because for most people, they're only going to have 15 or 20 gallons of gas sitting there. They're going to be out of gas in a week. And even if you have a large gas tank, um, even the, the largest, if you're in a, in an area with zoning that allows a really large underground gasoline tank, you're going to be out of gas that's usable within about three years because your gas is going to go bad. If you're, if you have a diesel system, granted you could have gas, you could have a diesel fuel for 10, 15, 20 years conceivably, but think about everything that can go wrong with a generator, whether it's the starter or uh, the windings or, more likely, all the auxiliary equipment, something is likely to go wrong with your generator. Uh, it could be a, something as simple as, you know, clogged fuel filters. If you don't have enough spares, you're out of luck. But with a photovoltaic power system, the there's no real mechanical issues that you have to deal with, only electrical. And if you deal with polycrystalline uh, uh, panels, modern panels are, are have a, a, sh- a working life, a, a service life that's measured in decades or even centuries. The, the uh, technology that's in typical exterior weather-rated photovoltaic panels is the same technology that's used in the photovoltaic panels that are in space that are out there in hard radiation. And a lot of those have been in service for 30 or 40 years out in hard rad. So I I think that photovoltaic is definitely the way to go. In my early days, I was looking at, you know, a combination of either wind power or micro hydro and solar. But now, unless someone lives uh, in northern Canada where they have, you know, horrible minimal uh, sunlight available in the winter, 
I say go all solar because the price per watt has dropped precipitously. When I put in my first system, I was paying $2.75 a watt. That was back in the early 90s. You can now get photovoltaic panels for under 90 cents a watt, maybe even 80 cents a watt for really large systems. There's really no reason to, ha to have any kind of mechanical system like uh, microhydro or wind power and all the mechanical problems that go along with those, not to mention the safety risk of climbing up uh, a tower to work on a, a wind generator. Uh, I'd say go all solar at this point. And uh, if you can afford it, go lithium for batteries. I read a book a few years back by Adam Ferguson called When Money Dies. It chronicles mm -hmm. the hyperinflationary collapse in Weimar, Germany. The book provides snapshots from the lives of individuals who lived through that crisis. Those who understood what was happening fared much better than those who kept hoping things would turn around and couldn't really fathom the the mark not being the the gold standard for the world. Uh, do you think the yeah. average American understands what's happening? No, the the, the the average American is is what I refer to as the generally dumb public or GDP or the sheeple. Uh, you, unfortunately, we have grown up um, thinking just like the Brits did uh, before World War One that. You know, they, they used to use the phrase sound as a pound, and we used to use the phrase the almighty dollar. Because the dollar it has been the world's reserve currency, but probably won't be much longer, people have been lulled into the assurance that inflation will continue to be low, that the purchasing power of the dollar will, will be there for them, that savings really in dollars really mean something whether it's mattress money or money in the bank, even though the banks are only paying less than 2% interest right now uh, on passbook accounts, people have to shake themselves out of the reverie and realize that the dollar is doomed, just like all the other fiat currencies. They're all in a race to the bottom. The U.S. dollar has already lost 97% of its purchasing power since 1913. And it's going to... that loss of purchasing power is, is shortly going to greatly accelerate. So people need to divorce themselves from dollars, from dollar-denominated investments. Again, tangibles are where to put the majority of your net worth. Your biggest investment, of course, should be in your primary residence, and hopefully that residence is going to be in a viable retreat area, and you're going to have some form of self-sufficiency, whether it's farming, ranching, or fishing. And anything beyond uh, your investment in your primary residence should be in non-dollar-denominated tangibles that are easily exchanged, true barterable tangibles, and that is things that can be broken down into smaller increments, so they're divisible, things that are basically identical one from the other. That's what they call being fungible. So, for example, if I have a box of 50 22 long rifle cartridges, not only can that be divided into many tra small transactions, but basically every 22 long rifle cartridge is about like another. 
there might you know minor differences between brands, but they're fungible in that they're recognizable to people for barter purposes. A round of 22 is a round of 22, whether it's made by Winchester, Remington Federal, or even Fiocchi. People won't care. They'll all have basically the same value for barter. So I believe in getting away from dollars and into tangibles. Most preparedness-minded folks try to be wise. For the most part, we try to be financially responsible, frugal, and we try to save for the future. Um, how are we going to have to change our paradigm going forward, um, particularly when it comes to saving in U.S. dollars? Yes. Uh, people have to basically think of dollars as at 450 degrees and just another degree higher and they will burst into flame and become worthless. So when you picture a dollar, think of a superheated dollar. <laughs> or, or another illustration, we think of, of dollars as a handful of sand and trying to keep it from slipping between your fingers. That's the way people need to look at dollars. And as people change their mindset and think about getting rid of their dollars as soon as they get them. That's the mindset to have, because that's the mindset that, to, that they had in Zimbabwe. That's the mindset they had in Myanmar, Germany. You want to get rid of your dollars every payday. Uh, go ahead and immediately uh, pay down your mortgage as quickly as you can. Um, pay, pay your rent Buy your groceries right after payday because in a hyperinflation, the, um, the, the purchasing power of your paycheck may be cut in half in 30 days. So if you wait and buy your groceries in the second half of the month, half, half the value of your paycheck will be gone. And, of course, most paychecks will not be fully inflation indexed. So you're also going to have to have some other form of income that's not in cash money, so a barter sort of income. And again, if you have barter items, you can essentially have a small store and trade with your neighbors or take that inventory and uh, trade at a farmer's market or, or somewhere else or flea market where you can at least have some store of value and some way of, of bartering for your groceries every month and it hopefully have the cash you need for all your other expenses like food and fuel. Since January 6th, we've seen uh, members of Oath Keepers raided by the FBI and arrested as domestic terrorists simply for being present at the Stop the Steal protest. Most of them were never even inside the Capitol. Uh, we've also seen conservative journalists like Nick Fuentes put on a TSA no-fly list for covering the rally. Even conservative candidates like uh, Laura Loomer have been blocked from purchasing firearms. Uh, of course, we've seen big tech censor conservatives for a while, but these actions are from the federal government. Have they nullified the First Amendment? Effectively, yes. And w one of the things that they've done is they've made our Second Amendment rights contingent, uh, where, for example, if there's a public demonstration, if you show up armed, 
they'll say you have no First Amendment rights because you're exercising your Second Amendment rights. We are living in really perilous times. The Biden-Harris administration is out-and-out socialist. It has horrible intent for the Bill of Rights. We won't have most, most of a Bill of Rights here in another couple of years, near as I can figure, at the rate they're going between executive orders and what they're ramrodding through Congress. So we need to be politically active. We need to be aware of the threats that are facing us. And we need to have alternatives to banking and to walking into our local gun shop to buy guns because uh, that's one reason that the Democrats are pushing for what they're calling universal background checks as hard as they are because they want all transactions to have to be through federally licensed dealers. And as you pointed out earlier, being on a no-fly list could also mean you're on a no-buy list for firearms. So we need to have alternatives for commerce because if, if we get our bank accounts uh, seized or zeroed out or we get blocked from using services like PayPal, we may need to, to uh, transact all of our business on a gray market amongst ourselves because we may be locked out of the main economy. Uh, another great concern that I have and that my wife has is that uh, we may have not yet seen the end of the COVID pandemic. We may be hearing next year of COVID-21 and go through a whole other round of, of lockdowns, and they may, uh, in that round, require COVID passports to be able to buy or sell anything. You may not be able to go into a shopping mall without a COVID passport. You may not be able to walk into your bank without a COVID passport. Uh, you may not be able to walk into your county courthouse and pay your um, your taxes uh without a COVID passport. So we need to plan ahead. Uh, we need to have alternate uh, commerce. We need to have, and that, I believe, uh, will soon involve uh, pre-1965 silver coinage. That sort of outside-the-box thinking is what's going to get us through this because we, if we, we can only depend on things getting worse coming out of the Biden-Harris administration, a further degradation of our rights, further degradation of our, of our uh, freedom to travel, further degradation of our ability to do any banking, and again, further degradation of our ability to purchase firearms. So think outside the box. Uh, if we do end up with universal background checks, which is a, a polite name for a ban on private party sales of guns, the other thing that I recommend highly is investing in pre-1899 cartridge guns because those are exempt under federal law, and those will be the only guns that shoot cartridges that people will be able to freely buy, sell, trade with their neighbors in the event that we have universal background checks because they'll be outside of, continue to be outside of federal jurisdiction. Hugo Chavez ran on equality, and I suppose we could say that he succeeded because now everybody in Venezuela is equal. They're all poor. 
you you mentioned that the Biden Harris administration is is predominantly socialist. They're now handing out three hundred dollars per child per month for children under each child under six, and uh, two hundred and fifty dollars per child per month for children between the ages of six and seventeen. This is for families making. Uh, $150,000 a year or less. And this is in a period of time when we are at absolute, uh, regardless of what the, uh, the, the statistics say, we're at full employment because everywhere I go, I see uh, help wanted signs. And, and right. you know, we, we talked earlier, it's almost goods, aren't, can't get to, yeah. goods can't get to market because there's no truck drivers. Um, $150,000 a year currently you're you're not in, you're not impoverished but perhaps this policy will actually take that $150,000 a year and 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 perhaps you will be impoverished um how do you, do you think that's going to affect our standards of living oh absolutely we'll we'll continue to see supply chain disruptions the uh, this whole you know, socialist Robin Hoodism plan of the Biden-Harris administration. Really, when you come right down to it, they're trying to buy d- Democrat votes. It's it's absolutely transparent what their goal is. Uh, same with their immigration policy. They want more Democrat voters in the country. But in the long run, a lot of these uh, these programs they're putting in place are going to end up wrecking the economy. The massive overspending is going to dilute the purchasing power of the dollar. The, the chronic welfare state that they're creating is going to eliminate huge chunks of the labor pool to the point where we won't have truck drivers. We won't have burger flippers. Um, and then the other aspect is they're also trying to pass a 15 or $16 dollar minimum wage, and that's going to have the unintended consequence of eliminating a lot of minimum wage jobs. So all in all, they are torpedoing our economy, they're breaking supply chains, and they're they're creating long-term systems dependence and apathy. I can't think of of a worse situation for our country. It's 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 as if uh, Joe Biden wants to be the next Hugo Chavez. And his successor, who I think will probably replace him within the next six months, Kamala Harris, is uh, much more radical even than Biden. She's not a socialist. She's a communist, and in fact a Maoist communist. So we're, we need to pray hard because we're in for some very dire times ahead. For those of us who've been at this for a while, it's difficult to require to recall what our first steps were toward preparedness. However, with each new crisis, more and more people are waking up to the fact that the government is not going to be able to provide for them. Uh, can you give them three action steps of what they can do to get started in prepping? Well, uh, I agree with you. There's more and more people interested in prepping. And getting prepared really starts with your mindset 
and then budgeting is, is the most important thing. Um, at my website at survivalblog.com, I have a little quick start guide for newbies. And if you just go to survivalblog.com slash newbies, N-E-W-B-I-E-S, uh, .html, that will bring up that web page, and that's a, st- a static page at my site. And that has a, a whole checklist of things. And then in terms of detailed checklists, I have an Excel spreadsheet at survivalblog.com that's called my list of lists, and that was recently republished uh, in the uh, the book that was um, published uh, just this last year called, year called The Ultimate Prepper Survival Guide. That list of lists in hard copy form is in the back of that book, but it's available free of charge in Excel spreadsheet format at survivalblog.com. But again, it starts with mindset, and as a Christian, I think people should start with prayer first, and then set your priorities. Um, if if you feel convicted to move, move, because uh, real estate prices in rural areas are only going to get higher. And uh, even for someone who wants to stay put, you really need to set priorities for your budgeting. Get your food storage squared away. Water filtration is as is at the absolute top of the list, even above uh, food storage. And prioritize. Go through my list of lists and work through it systematically. A lot of it's just common sense, but a lot of it will depend on where you live. Obviously, the preparations that someone needs to make if they're living in Alaska are radically different than someone living in Florida. So, Plan based on your stage of life, your climate zone, the local population density, and any local risks. Uh, obviously, if you live uh, right near a, uh, a federal prison, for example, I, I would strongly suggest that you seriously consider moving soon, because uh, if, if we have mass prison, prison breaks in the event of a of a major collapse, you're going to be right on the shopping list uh, for the, for the folks leaving those prisons. Uh, so think things through logically, approach it prayerfully, prioritize, set your budget, and then stick to it. And if it means giving up uh, expensive vacations or your fancy car or your giant plasma television or whatever, you just have to ask yourself, what's more important, being able to feed my kids or having a surround sound home theater? <laughs> Think about it very seriously, folks. Jim, that's all really, really great advice. Um, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. And one more time before you go, just tell the folks where they can find all of your work. Sure. Again, they can look at survivalblog.com. Uh, It's a blog that's been in existence for 15 years now, and all the archives there are available free of charge. And I pray the 91st Psalm for you and all your listeners. Thank you very much. You have a great day. You too. God bless.